Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unboxed podcast. My name is Rhys and today in an episode of the 2020 vision section we are going to have a look and see what is actually up for grabs in the 2020 American election cycle. Uh, so as that sort of broad definition suggests it isn't just the presidency that is going to be up for grabs although that is of course the headline uh, act if you will there are a number of roles and posts that are going to be well up in the air and all going to be elected on the same day uh, the federal law saying the first tuesday after the first monday in november which i believe puts it at the third to, uh, this year um, there are a number of different roles that are all going to be up for grabs and we're going to see what winning each one of those would really well really do for the country and mean so let's have a look obviously the first one is the presidency that is the big one every four years as per the united states constitution um, the united states has a presidential election uh, that president is then put on a four-year term which ends very specifically on the 20th of January. So even if there is, there has been uh, rumours of, um, the president's term, in this case Donald Trump's term, ends on the 20th of January. That is um, written into sort of the founding documents of America, although it is in fact an amendment to the Constitution which gives the president that specific limit. Um, this time around, the candidates are barring any complete changes that would be right now out of the question. Uh, we're looking at Joe Biden as the Democratic candidate and Donald Trump, the incumbent, as the Republican candidate. Um, there are, of course, going to be other candidates on the ballot. Uh, you will see Libertarian candidates, maybe even Mark Whitney on that ballot paper. You will see a Green Party candidate. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Jill Stein this year. Um, she has run the last couple of presidential cycles for the Green Party and there will be all manner of other candidates and of course you are still allowed to write in a candidate. Uh, that is how an electoral college uh, member was able to vote for Faith Spotted Eagle. Uh, so one of the electoral college votes that are assigned after the vote in each state in Washington I believe in the 2016 cycle went to Faith Spotted Eagle, um, an indigenous Native American campaigner and Ohio Governor John Kasich, I think, got an Electoral College vote. Um, he was not on the ballot paper. He didn't quite make it to be the Republican nominee. Um, as I've just said there, the Electoral College votes, that is what actually decides the presidency. It is not a popular vote and it is not a direct constituency vote. It's sort of a... Um, it's a real mixture. So each state has essentially a two-step electoral process. Um, you will see if you look at an electoral map of the United States, all the states have numbers. Um, so I'm looking at one here. You've got California 55, Texas 38, um, Florida 29, uh, New York 29 as well. Those are the, the big states. And then you've got other ones like Montana 3, Idaho 4, Wyoming 3, um, things like that. Um, all of those numbers represent the number of electoral college members that the state has. And essentially, 
Uh, this was a mechanism put in place by the founding fathers to temper the democracy of the country. I'm not kidding. If you read some of the, the papers around the time, that is a, a spirit and a, um, a feeling that you can get from those documents. So those members of the Electoral College are sort of high-ranking or important people. Uh, they cannot be in Congress. They cannot be judges. Um, but apart from that, they can basically be whomever. And it is actually their votes which decide the presidency. And they meet in uh, Washington, D.C. in December. Uh, so after the November election and before the January inauguration. And it is those votes which count towards the presidency, the magic number being 270 electoral college votes. If any candidate gets that, they are the president. Um, now, conventionally, it is the candidate who wins the most votes in any one state for whom all of the members of the Electoral College vote for uh, in the sort of, well, in the Electoral College. Um, so if Joe Biden were to win 51% of the votes in California, all of California's 55 Electoral College members would vote for Joe Biden. The same for Donald Trump, he got um, just 1% more than Joe Biden in Texas. All 38 Texan members of the Electoral College would vote for uh, Donald Trump. However, that is not officially what they have to do, and I believe 35 states still do not mandate that the members of the Electoral College vote for the winner of the popular vote in their state, which is, again, why we had people like Faith Spotted Eagle and John Kasich uh, on the well, on the Electoral College roll. Now, if there was a tie, because there are obviously an even number of, uh, well, an even number of Electoral College votes, there are 538, which is why uh, there could be a 269 to 269 split. Um, if there were to be a tie, then uh, the choice of who the president would be will go to the House of Representatives, so the lower house. Um, it would be the current House of Representatives, as formed. Um, and in a slight change to how they normally do it, all of the representatives from a state would vote in a block. So all of the representatives of California would vote with one vote, and all of the representatives for Vermont would vote in one vote. Now, that might sound great, but Vermont has, uh, well, one electoral college member, uh, sorry, not electoral college member, one member of the House of Representatives representing the so-called Vermont at-large district. Um, in terms of the Californian uh, members of the House of Representatives, uh, there are something like 53. So slightly, slightly different in terms of uh, in terms of how the the waiting for each individual member of the House of Representatives goes, but every state uh, chooses, and then uh, well, you get down to whoever has the majority uh, wins the presidency, and the vice president is selected uh, by the Senate, and every senator gets one vote. Um, now, I did say there were other things going on other than the presidential election. And, of course, that is true. We have an entire House election. Now, the House of Representatives is a very interesting democratic body. It is one of the the largest... Well, it's a, it's a fairly large electoral body. It's got about, um, I think it's 
430, uh, 437, somewhere around there. Um, and well, uh, it is, uh, sorry, uh, 438. Um, it has a lot of representatives, a lot of members, and uh, they are entirely newly elected every um, every two years. So all, all of the members of the House of Representatives will be up for election in this November's general election. Uh, obviously, provided it goes ahead in November, but I have done a feature on that. Um, that means that everyone, including Nancy Pelosi, including Alessandro Ocasio-Cortez, um, and all of the other representatives, just picking two out there that I've spoken about a little bit on this podcast, are up for re-election. So we really don't know what the House of Representatives is actually going to look like after this election. It could be completely different. Um, chances are, though, that most of the incumbents will win and we will end up with a House that looks roughly as it does now, as in there is a Democratic majority. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will probably remain Speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, the Democrats will probably, I say probably, because again, a long time to go until November. Um, a lot of things could happen uh, in that intervening time. But um, it looks likely, quite frankly, that uh, the Democrats will remain in charge of the House of Representatives. So that is one thing done, uh, the presidency and another one, the House of Representatives. Now the second House of Congress, the Senate. Um, now the Senate is slightly different to the House, it is the upper chamber technically in the United States system and there are 100 senators, two per state, and they all serve, all these senators serve six-year terms and a third of the Senate is elected or re-elected uh, every year. Um, now there are one or two special elections coming up uh, in this um, in this electoral cycle and there's one in Georgia I know and I can't remember where the other one is but I think there are two special elections which means that this year there are 35 seats up for grabs in uh, the Senate and it looks like I hasten to add, looks like the Republicans will probably keep their control of the Senate at the moment. Um, if you look at the Sabato Crystal Ball, which is a very good website there, run by uh, Dr. Larry Sabato, or well, uh, his sort of institute, his policy think tank, whatever you want to call it, a very good sophologist or studier of elections, uh, Larry Sabato, reckons that Republicans will almost certainly keep their majority. The only places that are really completely up in the air, North Carolina and Maine. Um, but at the moment he's predicting a 50-48 with two that he just can't predict and the Republicans will keep control of the Senate. Uh, if they don't, however, then, well, it gets uh, a little bit tricky for both uh, Republicans and Democrats because if... Um, if the House is Democrat and the Senate is Democrat and the President is Republican, well, we saw how that worked when it was Republican Senate, Republican House and Barack Obama as President. It doesn't particularly look like that would be uh, 
a helpful situation for um, President Donald Trump if he were to be re-elected and the houses were to switch like that. Uh, there are probably uh, several Senate seats that could decide that election. We're looking at places like Arizona, North Carolina, Maine. Uh, the Georgia special election could be an interesting one to watch, but um, we will have to wait and see. Um, there will certainly be more trailer episodes on that as we get closer to the time of the election. I'll do one on the House especially, one on the Senate, and then we'll move on to some of the other places that are having re-election cycles. One of them being gubernatorial elections. Now, there are 11 governor seats to be contested in uh, in the United States. And right now, if you were to look at all of the gubernatorial seats, you would see that they are pretty much evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. There are 26 Republican governors of states in the United States and 24 Democrat governors. Now, there are more Republican governors than Democratic governors up for re-election in 2020. Um, there are four Democrats up for re-election, and there are, uh, let me get this right, uh, there are seven um, Republicans up for re-election. I mean, there are 11 um, states holding gubernatorial races. Uh, of those, we think the Republicans are pretty certain to win six of them. Democrats pretty certain to win three of them. Apart from that, the other the other two we're not too sure. Um, if the Democrats win both, it'll be an even split. If the Republicans get just the one, uh, it'll be where they are. And if Republicans get both of them, then they will go to 27-23. Um, states that are holding their gubernatorial elections, Washington... Uh, Montana, North Dakota, Utah, Missouri, um, was that Indiana, West Virginia, North Carolina, Vermont, New Hampshire, and uh, Delaware. So those are the states holding those gubernatorial elections. Um, this is mainly for a four-year term, although New Hampshire and Vermont are uh, are two-year terms. Um, this is, well, looking interesting. Uh, it's probably not going to change too much. Again, all these these governorships, very important uh, on uh, the individual state levels. Don't have too much federal impact, especially when the, uh, the president is saying things like he has total power. Uh, that is, well, one of the more outlandish quotes from Donald Trump's news briefings which he has now stopped. Um, the, the comedy value is going down, um, possibly the rates of bleach injection also going down as he stops taking the stand. Um, but enough about that. Those are the gubernatorial races uh, that will be going on in 2020. Now, there are going to be also elections much lower down, uh, so there will be state senates uh, up for elections, State House of Representatives, um, mayors, judges, sheriffs, all of those. Um, all of those will have plenty of elections up and down the country in November of 2020. Um, and whatever happens, 
either up the ticket with the presidential election or down the ticket with all of the, the lower and lower races, it will change the picture of the United States. Um, I said a, a comment that was possibly uh, can be interpreted out of context as the governors are not too important on a federal level. Um, perhaps they aren't. They don't have the same influence that the president does. But on a state level, they are essentially the president. Uh, if you look at California, the governor of California, if he uh, were to be able to declare independence for his state, it would be one of the biggest economies in the world. I think in the top five or six, it would be bigger than the United Kingdom, possibly, uh, in terms of the size of the economy. That's a pretty powerful position to be in. We can't underestimate the importance of these governors. So, whether it's the presidential race, the Senate race, the House race, gubernatorial races, state Senate, state houses, sheriffs, um, was it mayors, councillors, judges, whatever. Um, if you have the right to vote in America, go out and vote. Because even on the smallest possible scale, your vote could make a difference. And even if your candidate doesn't win, you've participated, you've made your voice heard. By running them close, it might make them more likely to concede and to uh, give way to some of your points of views. Anyway, that is all we have time for today on the Politics Unbox podcast. I'd like to thank you very much for listening. Hope to see you all around again soon for the next episode, and goodbye. Mm-hmm.